0: So today we start a new mini-series, a three-part series on um, walking and talking with Jesus on prayer. Um, and the first one will be about hearing God call. I thought I would start with the listening side of prayer, because I think for many of us we are trained in the talking side of prayer, and so it might be uh, most beneficial to begin um, in this direction. And so, um, just to orient you in, in this rather long series of learning missional practices we did through the Lent and Easter season Um, spiritual gifts. And then for the last three weeks previous to today, we were working on knowing the story. And today we start with walking and talking with Jesus. I also want to give you a little bit of context for chapter 3 of Samuel because we haven't been um, reading or thinking about first Samuel. And so um, chapter 1 of this book, Actually, let me back up even farther. Samuel actually takes place in the time of the Judges. And, and what um, if we know if you know the stories of the Judges, the Judges were on this cycle where where people would rebel, but God would consistently come back again and again and, and raise up um, a leader, often called a Judge, who would guide them into a place of, of hope and restoration. And then right after Judges, we have the book of Ruth, which is just an incredibly beautiful story of um, someone... Being set free in a way that just showed how, when people are faithful and true to God's plans, when they're obedient to um, His way of living in this world, good things take place, and God works through those people in particular. So, all that by way of introduction to the the book of Samuel, 1st and 2nd Samuel, and actually all the way through 1st and 2nd Kings, these books are actually about, um, written from the perspective of God's people recognizing that um, those who live according to God's gracious ways, um, they are blessed, and those who head off in other directions, they experience difficulties and challenges and, and lose their place. So the very first story, chapter 1, you have the man named Elkanah, and he has two wives, actually. Hannah is written here, Here, her name is sort of the main character. And she has a, there's another wife, and her name is Penina, or Panina, I'm not sure how exactly you say that. And again, there's, there's, there's a tension between them, and Hannah is the one who acts graciously and receives grace, and that grace is the gift of the son Samuel, who this story is about. In that story, we also meet Eli. And Eli is an interesting character because his name means, my God, that will be relevant later in the message, hang on for that. And his role is the priest, so he's the mediator between God and the people. And yet we get this feeling that, not everything is going well for Eli. He's not quite living in the gracious ways that God calls him to, and so, um, as we pull oh, so for example, when Hannah is coming and praying at the temple, Eli sees her praying, and she's praying with her eyes closed and no voice, but just her lips moving, and he says, "Oh, are you drunk?" He misses that she's praying and thinks that she's drunk—a pretty, pretty bad miss, I would say. Um, and then we get to chapter two, and we realize that. Not only does Eli seem to be struggling in some ways, it's very explicit that Eli's sons, when compared to Samuel, right, they are messing things up pretty bad. And so again, we have this tension between those who are living in the way that God calls them to. Samuel is offered by his parents to work in the temple, to be the um, gracious servant of God. And Eli's sons who have that role are messing it up pretty bad. So we get that dynamic one more time. That's the context of chapter 3. So as we begin chapter 3, the first Samuel, the piece that was uh, displayed for us there, we start with these words, the boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. And I call this succession planning because not that Eli is doing succession planning, he was probably assuming his sons would take the role. This is God doing succession planning, right? And so today we're going to install new office fairs and that is part of our participation in God's regular succession planning thing. Right? Um, I'm here as the lead pastor now. You had a lead pastor before me and one before that and one before that. Right? That's part of God's way of providing an ongoing leadership and, and moving things forward in that kind of way. That's what's going on in, in this story. There's a change going on. We're moving out of the time of the Judges into the time of the prophet Samuel. And the boy Samuel it's interesting that he ministered before the Lord so he, he served God but he was under Eli. Right? And that's significant in the story is that Eli still holds the official position, he is the priest, right? And Samuel is still waiting. We're going to see how significant that is again in a few minutes. And they're in a what I want to call a dead zone. So in our world, if you're driving along, probably in a less populated area, and you're trying to talk on your cell phone, you suddenly might hit what we call a dead zone, and you'll start saying, Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? And you will lose your signal and you lose your call. Right? Probably didn't happen like that in Samuel's time. I don't think God worked through cell phones then. Um, He may now. But in those times, in those days, the word of the Lord was rare. People weren't hearing God speak, is what that's saying. And there were not many visions. God wasn't showing up in dreams like he did with Joseph, like he did with Daniel. Um, God wasn't showing up and communicating with the people. But notice the way this is said here. It's not said with any um, judgment or blame—it's just said as a fact. At that time, the word of the Lord was rare. There are not many visions. No, because of this or because of that. It just simply was one of those times, and that's significant in that we will also enter into spiritual dead zones along the way. We will also enter into times where it doesn't seem like God is speaking to us. It doesn't feel like our ans- our prayers are being answered. Right? There are those zones, and I can't explain why there are those zones, but there are those zones, those times, those eras in our life where it seems that there's not many words and not many visions from God. And So, again, this is the transition time, and the way the story is told. And, and by the way, when you're reading Old Testament stories, um, there are so many key details. In fact, every time there's a detail in there, it's probably important. And some of them I can explain, and some of them I can't, but... As you dig into the scripture, pay attention to the details because these are actually very tightly written stories and every word is in there for a purpose. And so one night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, which is a longer way of saying he's old, but why would you not just say he was becoming old, right? You would say his eyes were becoming weak because, again, there's no vision in that time. And so he is a symbol of the fact that there's no no visions at the time because he can't see what God is doing right around him. He couldn't see that Hannah was actually praying. His spiritual eyes were blinding as well. He couldn't see that Hannah was praying. He thought she had been drinking. And then the lamp of God had not yet gone out. So when God instructed Israel to build the tabernacle, which would be his traveling home as they went through the desert, one of the things he instructed them to build was a, a lamp, which is actually a seven-point candelabra, right? And the message that went with that, or the instruction that went with that, until dawn, from nightfall until morning. And it, it probably symbolized the fact that when Israel traveled through the, um, through the desert to the Promised Land, they were led by night by a pillar of fire. God's light was with them and lighting up the sky all through the night and, and, and guiding them in that way. And so also, um, when, when they went to the tabernacle, the tabernacle being the tent of God, the place where God lived among them his light would shine, his pillar of fire, if you will, his lantern would shine all through the night. So the priest's job was to make sure that the lamp stayed on from dusk until dawn. And so the author, again, could have just simply said it wasn't yet morning because in the morning they were allowed to, to let the lamp of God go out. But he says, no, the lamp of God has not yet gone out. And The psalmist says, the word of the Lord is a lamp unto my feet. Right? Jesus comes in the world and says, I am the light of the world. And so it's a a wonderful way of saying, this is transition time, we're waiting for morning, it's not quite morning yet when this happened, but it also puts us in a place of recognizing God may not have been speaking, they may not have been getting many visions, but it hadn't gone out yet, it hadn't been completely eliminated, there is always hope in the presence of God in his world. Three strikes... But not out. Really significant. So, baseball reference in case you don't know baseball, right? If you miss three pitches by swinging at them, you're out. There's no do overs unless you're playing maybe tee ball or something like that, right? But in actual baseball, three strikes, you're out. Samuel does this three times, and so I'll just read it the way it is here for the third time. A third time, the Lord called Samuel, and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, "Here I am. You called me." Three times this happens. Three times Samuel doesn't quite figure out what's going on. Um, it's significant, by the way. I didn't put that on. I forgot to put that on one of the slides. Eli was lying where he usually lies, and it says, "And Samuel was lying in the tabernacle in the temple, right where the ark of the covenant was. And the ark of the covenant was really God's throne. That was His seat." And so Samuel's lying right, significantly, right in front of the ark, which is where God sits, and he hears his voice, but he goes to Eli, right? Notice that this is, of course, a very forgivable thing that Samuel was doing. He didn't know what was going on yet. We'll see that in a second. But the fact that he mistakes this three times in a row just really emphasizes God's incredible persistence in chasing after us. So you may be in a time where you're not hearing a whole lot from God in prayer. Um, And it may be because you aren't aware, and we're going to talk about that in a minute as well. There's a lot of preview in this sermon. Um, It may be because you are not in a place where you understand how God speaks. And so, but God is going to continue knocking on your door. He's going to continue to call your name. He's going to continue to invite you into a place where you can hear him. Because God is that gracious. He goes on and on. Even after three strikes, you are not out. And it's God who opens the door. Many of us know people who, maybe like Samuel, do not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him if you know folks like that, you do have a calling to take every opportunity that you have to talk with them, to invite them, to share your life of faith. But recognize and hold on to that deep truth that it's God who ends up opening that door. It's God who turns the lights on, if you will. Samuel here has been dedicated by his mother to service in the Lord's temple for the rest of his life. And even with that incredibly holy start, he is, at this point, not yet aware of what's going on. A few weeks ago, I I talked about um, folks who've grown up in the church and have heard the gospel preached over and over again, but walk into some other setting and say, oh, I've never heard that before. And the reality was, it's not that they hadn't heard it before. It was that their time of God opening their eyes and revealing to them himself and his truth had not yet happened. Right? It's an interesting dynamic difficult, I think, is we would rather control the process. We'd rather say, God, why don't you just tell us the three steps that if I pray this, say this, and teach this, everybody will know who you are. Seems like it'd be a whole lot easier. But remember last week, control or chisel, control or chisel. God's on the chisel side, and the chisel side keeps bringing us back to this. Trust me, says God. Allow me to be God. Allow my ways to be above your ways. Allow me to do things in my time. A so big part of our prayer, a big part of our listening, is also always wondering. I wonder when God is going to act in power in that way, and then hanging on to that trust, that faith that says, "But I believe that He will." It's God who opens the door. But don't forget this: God uses door openers. Eli, as I've um, as I've described him here, is he's not he's not the top notch character, right? He's at least a middling character, if not a struggling character. But recognize that he's the door opener that God uses, which is great news for all of us because probably most of us are middling to struggling um, image bearers of God and followers of Christ. And so we can always be used. Eli realized that it was the Lord calling the boy, right? The lights go on for Eli as well. And Eli tells Samuel, go lie down. And if he calls to you, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Eli gives Samuel, when he recognizes what's going on, the wonderful basic tool of opening himself up to God and just allowing God to speak into his life. God uses all of us to be door openers, even though he opens the door. And then this, so here I am trying to teach you listening prayer, and I'll get real practical at the end on that. And I kind of wanted to stop at verse 10 so we wouldn't have to go through the part where Samuel hears from the Lord, and what he hears is a really hard word. Verse 11 says, The Lord said to Samuel, See, I'm about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears about it tingle. And that's not tingling with excitement. That's tingling in, whoa, that's difficult. That's a hard word. He He has heard the word that Eli's sons will not carry on, that Eli's line will be removed from the role that they've had because of their disobedience, because of the way they have been living. He's been given a very hard word. And then this. As he hears the hard word, Samuel was afraid to tell Eli that vision, and with good reason, who wants to share bad news. But Eli, whose named remember means my God, called him and said, Samuel, my son. And I was struck by that, that here he calls him my son. And Samuel answered, here I am. So it's interesting that suddenly now, after Samuel's heard from the Lord, after the word of the Lord has started to be spoken again, Eli, whose name means my God, calls out to this obedient son, who then presents himself to Eli now, and says, here I am. So all those times when Samuel was answering Eli when it was God calling, now it's Eli, whose name means my God calling. And it strikes me again that Eli, in spite of all his weaknesses and his challenges, is being used by God. He's the God character in this conversation right now. He is the my God who finds an obedient son. He is the one who foreshadows what happened in Jesus Christ, where God called his son and asked him to do an act of incredibly difficult obedience on the cross. And that obedient son in Jesus fulfilled, lived out completely what Samuel began here by saying, here I am. Jesus spent an incredible amount of time in his life in prayer. He would go off, often even out of a, the midst of a, a busy crowd wanting him to heal and to preach. And he'd go off by himself with his father to pray. And I want to suggest to you that he spent a lot of that time Day and getting his instructions, the Gospel of John tells us over and over again that Jesus said, "I don't do anything that my Father doesn't tell me." And so he must have been listening really to his Father. And Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane, in prayer, says, "Father, if it be Your will, take this cup from me, but not my will, but Yours be done." Shorter version of that prayer would be, "Here I am, here I am." And so our inspiration for listening, our guide for listening, of course, is Jesus Christ who, beyond even Samuel, the great prophet, was the one who understood what it meant to listen in prayer and submit with the words, Here I am. And now the word starts to flow. The word gives words. The Lord was with Samuel as he grew up, and he let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. What a wonderful image. He didn't allow... Um, Samuel's words of prophecy to just land there—they actually grabbed people's hearts and minds, and they converted, and they challenged, and they adjusted the things that happened. That's what the word does. And the Lord revealed Himself to Samuel through His word. So a few weeks ago, and for the last few weeks, we've been talking about our identity in Christ. And as we understand our identity in Christ, what we're really saying is, allow the Word of God to dwell in you so richly that your identity, the truths that guide what you think and say and do, are the words of God Himself. And that's the image of what happens here. When God reveals His truth into your life, when He speaks His word, when He opens that door and turns the lights on for you, what He's doing is forming you in such a way that what you say to others would also then carry the Word of God. And I want to remind you that Jesus is the Word. Right? The Bible actually talks about itself being the Word in words, but the ultimate image of word, is Jesus Christ himself, because he's basically, in living form, everything that the Bible talks about, lived out perfectly. And so it is that as we listen to God, as we read his word, as we allow his word to dwell on us spiritually, what we're really looking for is not, do I know how to quote things out of the Bible, as much as, do I know this Jesus? Does he live in me in such a way that who I am and what I do um, reflects Him and shows Him and enacts Him in this world. So that was the first sermon. Here's the second one. That was the teaching of this story which has all kinds of rich treasure in us for understanding who God is and how we function in our relationship with Him. Here's the four-step paschal guideline to listening prayer. And every one of these quotes is the words from uh, 1 Samuel chapter 3. First, submit. Here I am. I highly recommend that you try this as a pattern for prayer. It doesn't have to be your only pattern for prayer, but a pattern for prayer. Where you sit and spend time simply in the presence of God saying, Here I am. Here I am, God. I submit this time to you. The very act of coming to prayer and saying, I'm going to carve out this time and and be in the presence of God and and listen to him. That's submission. That's saying, God, you're the Lord of this universe. This is your world, and if I want to live in it well, I need to spend some time with you listening to you here. There's other centering lines you can use, but I would recommend you say, Here I am, Lord, and you sit and you wait until all those things running around in your mind calm down. It will take some time sometimes, but it does happen. And you sit and you listen and you wonder. And then when you have calmed your mind down, the second part is to listen. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Again, there's nothing wrong with the prayer where you bring your petitions before God, but also spend time saying, Lord, you speak, I'm listening. Now, right now in your life, maybe the word of the Lord is rare, and the lamps seem to be going out, as was said in 1 Samuel 3, but I do believe that learning to live in the presence of God, taking the time to center yourself and to be present in God's face and to allow Him to speak to you and asking Him and inviting Him to speak actually be something that grows in your life where you start to sense that God is telling you, you need to focus on this. You need to consider this. Um, You need to hear this from me as a word of blessing in your life. And then, especially if you do this in a group, which I highly recommend, by the way, um, share what you've heard. So I've done listening prayer in groups where where we center, we listen, we spend some time and, and the leader who taught me said, and when you know God has spoken to you. When you have this sense that God has said something, tell the others. And what is often amazing is that if if you dare to say, this is what God is saying to me, and then others start saying, well, this is what God is saying to me, you'll often find that there is a connection between all those things because God is speaking his truth to the group, to the community. In fact, oftentimes, each of us hears one small part of the puzzle, and when we put those pieces together, we see the picture that God is trying to put in place for us. And you'll also experience, particularly if it's a hard word that you've heard, that saying it out loud sort of solidifies it. It allows you to articulate, to grasp what it is that God has said to you, and it allows you to kind of put it in the group so that there's this sense of, of connection, of accountability, of being in this journey together. And then finally, as Eli said, after Samuel gave him those hard words, submit again. What he says is the way it should be. He is the Lord. And so as we spend time listening, we start with recognizing I need to come in the presence of God. We end by recognizing I need to submit to the truth and the power of God and allow his truth to shape me. Now, there's a whole lot more teaching that we probably need to do around this. For now, I encourage you to try this kind of listening prayer. Try it in your small group. Try it as a family. Try it in some kind of context like that. And we will continue to think and grow and practice this thing um, because I believe also as a community there is a lot of discernment that we can do as we continue to listen to God. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, continue to teach us to pray. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that Even now, you would speak into our hearts and our minds through this message, through your word, through Samuel, through Jesus, and by your Holy Spirit, that you would guide us to a conviction to take some time and to find a space where we can listen to you, where we can allow you to speak, where we can hear your voice, where we can grow in our ability to sense what you are saying to us individually, as a group, and as a community, and that we can offer ourselves, submit ourselves to your leading. May it be as you have said. We pray this, Jesus, in your holy and powerful name, with you as our guide. Amen.